It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody could ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. And welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com, as well as the mobile app. Paul Dettino alongside by me. We will also have John Schmelk chiming in as well. Hello. Across the period of this program. Absolutely, guys. In multiple ways for you to interact with us here on the program, 201-939-4513. We are back to our regular number. You could also use hashtag GiantsChat on Twitter and you can interact with the three of us directly on social media, on Twitter, at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W, at Giants WFAN, and at Schmelk as well. We got a lot to cover over the course of the next 60 minutes. A number of other assistant coaches addressed the media today, so we'll hear from them. We'll break that down. We'll analyze that, and we'll also get to the latest team news is the Giants inching closer to those padded practices. So that is certainly promising, and it's promising for the entire NFL as well. Paul, how are we doing today? Good to talk to you, Lance. And, you know, it just kind of hit me that, you know, as we continue to do these remote shows, maybe one of us could be at the North Pole, one at the South Pole, and one at the equator. How about we try to pull that off? I would love to send Lance to the North Pole. That's just me. (laughs) Well, that's the beauty of technology. You actually can go to the North Pole and the South Pole, and as long as there's an Ethernet jack or technology that cooperates, it may actually work. Lance, all seriousness. I am sure Chris Kringle will be more than happy to to lend you his uh, Internet connection in order to make this happen. Well, I'm totally fine with cold weather, so you could send me anywhere where it's cold. <laughs> I'm actually the complete opposite of most people. They love to get to the summer. I'm the complete opposite. I'll take winter 24-7. Well, and even better for you, there's, like, no humans at the North Pole. So you have no one that can pester you, you no one that you're going to pester. It's perfect. Can I'll I be put right dibs? in my element. Can I It'll put dibs perfect. on the equator? Yes, that that's fine. <laughs> we will put you right in the middle of the desert, Paul. I think that's perfect. You can walk yeah. the length of the Sahara on a daily day basis. It'll be perfect. Just give me a case of bottled water. That's all. I will leave the warm climate to you, Paul, and I will gladly take the colder temperatures. So Good deal. Let's review what transpired earlier today in terms of the assistant coaches interacting with the media. And we heard from Mark Colombo. We heard from Burden Burns, Brett Bielema, as well as Jerome Henderson. We're going to start with Colombo because clearly the offensive line is a huge storyline. And one of the first things that he was asked, which is something that we've talked about more often than not on this program, is is there a benefit when you actually played the position that you're coaching? Mark Colombo had this answer. Well, I think it's, uh, I think relating to offensive linemen, that's, that can happen because, you know, I played in the NFL for a while and I think these guys respect that and respect the fact that I've done it, I've seen it, and it's really a great group of guys. You know, Will's a great, great leader in the room. Um, Will Hernandez. He's a great player. I love having him in the room. And I think just learning, you know, learning from experience that I, I've had and been able to teach these guys, you know, they've really absorbed a lot right now and they're taking it all in. And, you know, I I believe, you know, we're pushing in the right direction. So, you know, Will's a big part of that. Do you think as a follow-up, do you think the fact that you're a 6'8 guy and you can get on a field with them and kind of show them what to do because you've done it, you know, you're not a a smaller, older coach. Do you think that helps? Yeah, you know, you know, obviously like mastering the techniques that I'm teaching, being able to show them exactly what I want, um, that's, that's important. That's important to me. It's important for them to get a visual of exactly what it is instead of, you know, watching another guy doing a technique that that I was teaching. Um, I'm able to get in there and do it myself, at least right now. You know, I'm 41, so I'm not getting any younger. 
Uh, at the same time, it's a, I think that's important for them to get a good visual of exactly what you want so you can correct it right there on the field instead of having to go all the way back to the film and correct it afterwards. So that was Mark Colombo, Giants offensive line coach, talking about being a former player, how beneficial that was. Paul Schwartz, by the way, with the follow-up question that followed the initial answer. And Paul, I think that when you have somebody once again, and we've had this conversation where we could further expand on it, there's a relationship that's unique that Mark Colombo has with the rest of the group that perhaps some of the previous Giants offensive line coaches have not had, and that is he's been in the trenches, he's played on the NFL level, and to his point, he could go and line up and show them techniques because you know Mark Colombo's not an old guy. He's not that far removed from the game, Paul, that what he applied when he was playing is completely revamped since. Well, his last year was as a player with the Dolphins in 2011, so it's not that far removed. And he was in the NFL for the better part of a decade and succeeded. All right, six foot eight, over 300 pounds. He's not quite 300 pounds these days. Obviously, he has trimmed down. But from the limited parts that we've been able to watch to this point, what you see, he will get right out there next to the center. He'll be inside the A gap or the B gap, and he's showing them how you're going to move your feet, how you're going to make sure you strike at the snap. I mean, he is physically demonstrating things right there on the field, right next to these guys. And, you know, we've discussed how guys like Pat Flaherty are great line coaches, and there's no question that it does not have to be a prerequisite to be an outstanding offensive line coach. But those guys who had success doing it in the NFL do seem to have a little bit of a leg up or at least somewhat of an easier time translating what they're trying to teach to the current players on the roster. I was doing some research, and this is right up your alley since you love the trenches, Paul. I was curious to see the last time the Giants had an offensive line coach that actually played the position in the NFL. Do you happen to know off the top of your head, if I put you on the spot, who the last offensive line coach that played the position was. Might it this be, is right in your wheelhouse. Might it be Rosie Brown? No, it was not Rosie Brown. It's been since then. It was from 1985 to 1992. He was the offensive line Ooh, coach. Ooh, why do I not? I was going to say, Paul, that's right in your wheelhouse. It really is. That's why I brought it up. Who's the Giants offensive line coach for the Super Bowl teams? I'm trying to think about that. Why do I not know this? I don't know. I was only like five years old, so I don't feel bad about it. Wait a minute. Let me see. I'm going to look it up, Paul. I'm going to look it up. Let's see if you can find it before I look it up. I'm going through all the parts. Well, I have it in front of me. I could easily reveal it. No, no, no. You don't have to do that much work, the two of you. The Parcells offensive line coach. Yes. Why am I going brain dead here? Well, this is crazy. <laughs> well, listen, we've done multiple me. studies to explain that one, Paul. <laughs> yeah, we I only know. have so much time on this program. I know. Lamar, Lamar Leachman was the defensive line coach. Who was the offensive line coach? Why am I? I it wasn't Bill Austin, was it? No. All right, you're up to like 17. All right, what do you got? Already. What do you got? Fred Hoagland. Yes, Freddie. You're right. <laughs> Freddie, Freddie Hoagland with the mustache. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, the mustache is the important part. <laughs> well, well, well that's, that, he was the guy. He was the mustache. You're right. You're so right. he was the last time the Giants had an offensive line coach that played the position in the NFL since Mark Colombo. Now, just to put things in perspective, the Giants have had Pete Manjurian, 93 to 96, John Matsko, mm-hmm. 97 to 98, Jim McNally, 99 to 2003, then Pat Flaherty, who had the longest tenure, 04 to 15, yeah, Mike yeah. Solari, and Hal Hunter, who have followed. So yes. my point is, it's been some time, guys, since the Giants actually have had a former NFL player who played in the trenches. 
No, that's and that's a really good piece of work by you, Lance. And uh, and I'm I'm embarrassed to have had brain lock, but I'll <laughs> tell you one thing. Okay, Mike Solari uh, in particular, Pat Flaherty in particular. Nothing against the other guys. But but those two had gotten a lot of praise from around the football circles yeah. before they even got here. And then, of course, when they got here, Flats wound up helping the Giants win two Super Bowls. And Solari was actually credited by a lot of people around the league for doing a yeoman's job with what was a very suspect offensive line the time that he was here in East Rutherford. Uh, so I'll just point to those two guys as evidence that you can be really good as an offensive line coach without having played. And I, do, I've, I know I've referred to Flats a couple of times before, but I do want to make that clear. It's not a prerequisite. 100%. And I echo your sentiments. That was just a little history lesson just to once again good put one. things in perspective. Good one. But not an indictment, to your point, about the previous coaches that had not necessarily played that position on the NFL level. Remember, a lot of these guys who coached the Giants offensive linemen, they played the position Paul, they may have played it in high school and college. They sure. just didn't necessarily play it in the NFL. So that's also important to note. Well, here's the thing. Regardless of who coaches the Giants' offensive line, there's characteristics that you want to see out of the five guys that are going to protect Daniel Jones and establish the run. Mark Colombo was asked that very question. This is what he had to say. Yeah, I think it's it's a work ethic, and it, it's, it's a nasty attitude going out there and just kind of imposing our will on the defense, all right, flying around. All right, that's uh, non-negotiable. That comes right from uh, Coach Judge in this organization. You know, they demand it here. Okay? The first thing we're going to do is work our, work our butt off, and we're going to play hard. Okay? That's, that's, uh, that's non-negotiable. Everything else, the technique, you know, assignments, stuff like that, we can get that stuff corrected, but the effort, again, non-negotiable. Now, Paul, be honest to the audience. When you heard that live, and now you're hearing it again, how much excitement did you personally feel inside listening to him break down what he wants out of offensive linemen and trenches play? One of the things that we heard the Giants were looking for when Judge uh, first started to talk about this team and then when Colombo first got here as well is that they wanted to adopt the mentality and the philosophy of the Cowboys offensive line, which is exactly what you just heard him talk about. It is that mentality that starts everything. If you are going to play power football, smash mouth football, if you will, you have to have that kind of mentality and that kind of work ethic. Otherwise, you will never get that type of football on the field. Well, and this leads into what he also talked about. He focused on detail and the little things, why they are so important when it comes to coaching the offensive line. What I try to teach, and again, our head coach is just like this, is why, you know, it's awesome, right? Attention to detail is everything. Every little step matters, right? I, you know, I'm not going to speak for every other coach in the NFL, but every single step matters. And if you're not coaching every little detail of it, right, the player can't get better. You know, it's a grind. You got to get in there with every one of these players. You got to make sure, right, they're doing it exactly the way you want it. And you can see after, even after a few weeks, these guys are just eating it up. They love getting coached. And that's our job as coaches. You know, Coach Judge Judge harps on that. Coach every little detail. And that's the way, you know, we roll as a unit. And that's how you get better as an offensive line. So I'm really excited with the response I've got so far from this unit. I mean, these, these guys have really taken on the challenge. And they're in it every day trying to get better. They're after practice, working on every little detail, every step. Okay? We just need to keep getting out there, keep getting the reps. And, you know, I'm excited for the future, you know, of this uh, organization. 
And, Paul, you can argue the reason why detail is so important, he has by far the toughest position to coach right now because with limited padded practices, and he even responded to a lot of questions when he was asked about specific players, I've seen this and that, but, hey, once we put the pads on, then we'll separate the men from the boys to paraphrase him. So, you know, that's why the studying and the Zoom call conversations and what they need the offensive line to do in the scheme, hey, that's great. But you're really going to see who steps up and applies all of that once we get to next week when the padded practices begin. The padded practices, as you said, on Monday, August the 17th will begin. And then after that, each ensuing week, we will see an intra-squad scrimmage where the guys are really going to go at each other and they'll learn a lot more about what these guys' capabilities are. Lance, I think the one thing to keep in mind about the detail stuff that he's talking about is that when you study players in the NFL because you're going to face them on a given weekend, the first thing you're going to do, if, if you're in the trenches especially, look, defensive backs will do this as well, so will linebackers, but it's the trenches that they will look for whatever little idiosyncrasy that they can find, which is going to be the key to how they can either beat you or how you have left yourself vulnerable. And there is no greater mistake than to give up a key or to be sloppy along the trenches because that's when the defensive fronts turn into sharks and they've just got blood in their eyes and they are coming for you and they will make you pay. That's the one place more than anything else you cannot afford to be sloppy with the details. Well, because issues with one offensive lineman then opens up Pandora's box for issues across the board. And that's going to be extremely important this year, especially if you have a few young guys such as Andrew Thomas starting and Will Hernandez, who was talking about this earlier in the week, developing and looking to make progress based on his finish last season. If you have a young guy next to you and the details are not necessarily falling into place, not only does that affect the young player, Paul, it could then impact everybody else on the line across the board. And that's, of course, based on what you're alluding to when things really start to fall apart. Yes, there's absolutely no question about that. And we already know that the Giants are going to have a new tackle combination because, you know, Solder has opted out, so it's going to be a new left tackle and a new right tackle. And in all likelihood, because, again, I don't know what is going on with John Jalapio. We haven't heard anything about him recently. So I'm, I'm starting to think that you can't count on him coming back to compete for the center position. So in all likelihood, the front runner right now, Spencer Pulley, has a leg up on the job. And if we assume that he's going to win it, well, he hasn't exactly played a ton next to Zeitler and Hernandez. Now, they have some familiarity, but it's not like they've got thousands of snaps between them. Well, and speaking of the center position, before we move on, he was asked about Nick Gates, Mark Colombo, and he was asked specifically about how is he coming along at center, and they said that they're doing their best to get him as many reps as humanly possible. A lot is going to be told about Nick Gates once he puts the pads on, but it seems as if the common theme that I take away, and we'll hear more on this when we hear from Jerome Henderson, cross-training is to me a common theme, Paul, across this roster, not just one facet of the team. I think with the defense at Patrick Graham, with the offensive line, with the secondary, they're trying to get guys comfortable at multiple spots so that they can be prepared for not just the injury bug, but of course the unknown of the coronavirus. 
Well, I think we will hear from Coach Henderson uh, one of the things that he in particular stressed more than the other guys because he was talking about, he was asked about the safeties. Yeah. And, and, and he will address this a little bit further. The bottom line is you need to have some flexibility and some versatility in what is a very, very weird offseason. Yeah, Lance, we can go to Henderson next if you want, by the way. Just one other thing you said about Gates. I thought Patty Trena from Sports Illustrated actually asked him a, a very good question, uh, Mark Colombo specifically, about Gates, that he's a bigger center, right? He's 6'5", and usually the center's a little yeah. squattier, right? And he said, look, we like big centers. You know, we had Travis Frederick in Dallas. He was a bigger player because they want that center to be able to create gaps and move people off the line of scrimmage. So he pointed out that he likes the fact that maybe they'll have a bigger, more powerful center if Nick Gates happens to win that job. Travis Frederick, by the way, 6'4", 320. Yeah. So Big not man. that far removed yes, yeah, from Nick Gates. Good he player, too. Retired, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Little bit. So question mark in terms of, of course, who's going to start at center for the Cowboys, similar to the Giants. So let's actually go to Jerome Henderson mm -hmm. because it's in theme with what we're just talking about. And he emphasized that they've been cross-training the entire secondary group, especially because of the current circumstances of the country. If you watch this system of defense, you, you'll see that the parts are really interchangeable in the secondary. You know, you'll have safety sometime moving down and playing corners. You'll have corners sometime and things moving back to play safety. So we're asking all those guys to be versatile. We're asking them to learn multiple positions. Um, and so that gives us flexibility because, you know, I always tell them that, you know, one week, like, and especially when you had COVID in the mix and what can happen there, you know, I may have been at corner all camp and the next thing you know, we have an injury, right? Then another guy's out because of COVID. Next thing you know, you're, you've switched positions midweek, right? And we play in like a couple days. Um, you know, so we're trying to get guys like kind of cross trained and be ready for, for when that happens, if it happens. Um, so we are asking them to cross train and learn multiple spots. And this is nothing necessarily new for some of the players on the roster, as well as Giants history. Guys like Antrell Roll come to mind. Players that were interchangeable. Terrell Thomas is another one, whether he be on the outside, the inside, safety, you name it. And then Julian Love on the current roster. Bring it full circle, Paul. Here's a player also that has experience playing multiple positions. So it's a very smart philosophy. It's a wise philosophy because there's going to be circumstances this season where they may ask a corner to go to a safety spot, especially if they want to get three safeties on the field. They're going to interchange guys on the outside and the inside. And I think not just the Giants, I think every team should be doing this right now to prepare for who knows what's going to happen maybe five weeks into the season. Well, that's the problem. The mystery of the unknown. And you really do not know who is going to be available on a week-to-week -week basis, not just because of potential injury, but because of the health concerns and the protocols. So it does behoove you to have the ability to shift guys around like chess pieces. Now, we have talked about this before. That can also be a bit overwhelming, especially for a bunch of young guys when you're talking about a team that has been rebuilt. Lance, I did a count this morning before practice. The Giants have 81 players on their roster because Sandro Plotzkomer, the Austrian running back, is part of the inter international program that the NFL has, so he does not count. He has a roster exemption. So the Giants have actually 81 players on their roster, but they're only counting 80 right now. Of those 80, 40 of them were new faces signed after the new year. 40 of the 80. That is exactly 50%. Only 14 of those 40 are NFL veterans. 
so you understand what the Giants coaching staff is up against when they really have to become outstanding teachers. And they're really, really going to have to do a good job of trying to cross-train guys because that is a gigantic sandwich to have to bite off as a young player. Well, that's also a perfect example of the turnover rate in the NFL. And specifically with respect to the Giants, there's been so many changes. You got a lot of new faces. You have a new scheme. So you do have to, as you go along, get a feel for your players, what they can handle and perhaps what they can't. Now, the other thing, interestingly, that Jerome Henderson mentioned, they don't look at themselves as having a depth chart right now. He actually used the term alignment chart in terms of where they're putting these guys and they're mapping out practices where they may ask a guy in one practice, Paul, today you're going to play on the inside. And then all of a sudden you get the practice plan for the next day. Today we're going to move you to the outside. And then the day after that, we're going to line you up as a safety. So it's not as if, to me, it sounds as if they're overwhelming these guys all at once in one day's of practice. They're spreading it out so that they can get a taste of this position, digest it, come back the next day, get a taste of a new position, and so forth. Well, that's true because the versatility factor doesn't only come into play because you're worried about individual players' availabilities. The other part to this is that defensive coordinator Patrick Graham wants to be able to use a chameleon defense. He wants to be able to make adjustments and to change things week to week, half by half, maybe even quarter by quarter or series by series. And so that's going to be a staple of what his scheme is going to be. So you, you kind of have two separate reasons why you want these guys to be as versatile and as cross-trained as possible. And neither one is more important than the other because both are extremely, extremely valuable based on what the Giants want to do. Lance, as FYI, we understand that there was a bit of a back-end issue on the website, on the app, so we only just joined people live. So if uh, you folks want to you know, go check out the archive when it goes up later, you can hear from Mark Colombo, and you can hear from uh, Jerome Henderson, who we already talked about in terms of what the assistant coaches said today. But uh, now we are back live, which is probably you know, why we haven't been getting as many calls. So, Lance, go ahead. I just, I, just to, I just wanted to let the people know that you can check out the Columbo and Henderson stuff on the archive later. Certainly appreciate that, as well as previous shows. Giants.com does a great job archiving everything, podcast platforms as well. And the telephone number is back to the original number, 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. You can also interact with the three of us on Twitter as well, at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W, at Giants, W-F-A-N, at Schmelk. So we're going to continue to recap the assistant coaches who addressed the media. And let's stay on the defensive side of the ball since we went to Jerome Henderson and then we'll work our way back to the offensive side of the ball because this plays into this offensive and defensive versatility theme that we've been covering. Outside linebacker coach, senior assistant, Brett Bielema also spoke to the media. He also, remember, is a coach with a wealth of head coaching experience at the college level. And he used the term outside linebacker DNA when he was talking to the media. So, Bielema, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, one of the things that I've always kind of talked about is, you know, everybody knows what DNA is, right? So DNA is something that's in you that describes who you are um, and it's built every day, right? You're giving it at birth, but... As an outside linebacker group, we try to do things every day to establish who we are to the outside world, uh, to our teammates that play around us, to our teammates that are in the room with us. Um, we just kind of always stress it. And, uh, yeah, that, that's just a big part of what I, I try to get to the group. And hopefully it's positive DNA. I know DNA can have a, a, bad, a bad connotation. We're trying to have positive DNA. 
Can you just describe your philosophy? What you what do you preach to your guys? What an outside linebacker needs to be? You know, first and foremost, you know, the, the, to respect the game. Um, I think that's a big part. But we have you know three things that we kind of hold tangible is just the, the process that makes up that DNA to be consistent. Um, we have to obviously we're playing on, on the edge. We're outside linebackers, so you have to have a great edge awareness and then football IQ and situational football always got to be big. You know, so if I have a group of guys that maintain those three things. We got a chance to be successful and hopefully give Pat a tool as a coordinator uh, to give our program a tool as, a, as an outside linebacker group and fit into the group of, of players that we take out on the field on Sunday to have a chance. Art Stapleton, by the way, with that follow-up question. So that was Brett Bielema, the outside linebackers coach, senior assistant for the Giants. And the other thing that he pointed out, in addition to this blueprint of linebacker DNA, is some of the young guys, Paul, that he's been working with and how he's anxious to really see what he could get out of them because of their different skill set. And he highlighted specifically Carter Coughlin and Cam Brown, two late-round picks for the Giants because he highlighted, and this is things that we brought up when we were evaluating the draft class, Coughlin has played down at the line of scrimmage if you go back to Minnesota, whereas Brown has been more of a move-him-around type of guy back in coverage. And right now they're trying to get a feel for where the placement of these guys is ideal within the structure of this defense. Well, Brown in particular is such a unique athlete. When you you look at his, his skill set, specifically his wingspan and his height, You know, part of that whole thing is clearly he's going to impede the passing lanes and clearly he can get his arms on running backs or tight ends coming out of the backfield and give them a real difficult time as they try to get into their pass routes. So he's got some very unique tools that can specifically inhibit or hinder an offense. Now, at the same time, though, in his time at Penn State, not necessarily the speediest guy in the world. And so, you know, teams in the NFL level, they're going to try to take advantage of that. They're going to try to isolate and they're going to try to run around and they're going to try to make him go wide and horizontal. And so it's going to be a game of cat and mouse, which you have to figure out if if you're Coach Bielema, you have to figure out specifically, okay, which of these skill sets actually do apply at a high level in the National Football League so that we know we can use them. And then we tell Coach Graham, okay, look, This guy can do this and this and this, and this guy can do that and that and that. Now, it's up to you how you want to scheme it. But I'm telling you now, player X, he's going to have a tough time doing this, so you may want to stay away from that. That's why they have to have communication on the coaching staff. They have to be on the same page because if there's any disconnect there, you're going to have a coordinator who is going to scheme things with players who can't fit the mold. Well, that's why this is a year, and of course it's important for any positional coach every year, but you really want to make sure that you're getting the most out of your guys when you break down by position because that goes right to your point. If there's a miscue within the positional group, then when they go out on the field as an entire defense, then obviously it's going to lead to headaches. But on this topic about the development of young players, interestingly, Bill Belichick spoke to the media today, and I want to bring up something he said because it ties right in to what we're talking about, Paul. And He was asked about what he's seen out of his own team rookies and what he expects from them in the early stages of the season. And when he was asked about how challenging he thinks it's going to be for first-year players this year, he said, quote, the rookies are in deep water, in turbulent water, end quote. 
That's quite a line from Bill Belichick because if arguably one of the greatest coaches, not just in today's NFL in history, does not feel too confident that the rookies are going to have a smooth integration into what schemes and what the head coach and the coordinators are asking for, can only imagine what other teams are going to be dealing with too. So it's going to be very interesting to see what this rookie class, specifically these late round picks, can contribute early on, I would say, outside of perhaps even special teams. Yeah, and Mike Giardi lands from NFL Network had one more quote from Belichick. After he said, deep water, turbulent water, he finished up by saying, and it's going to get rougher. <laughs> That's what well, that was the end of the quote. So, yeah, it's going to be a problem. The one thing Belima did say, Paul, is that the veterans have really embraced the young guys in that group, and they're trying to help them along a little bit. Yeah, I agree with that. And, look, here's the bottom line, okay? If this is not a complete team effort, the coaches can't be the only ones who are teaching. The leaders in the locker room have to do that as well. And I think that's one thing that, that all of us will agree on as we've listened to these assistant coaches. They have all talked about developing leadership in the locker room and the camaraderie that these guys are showing each other and guys who are willing to listen and willing to teach and then willing to help pass it along to others. The Giants have to have that because this team is going to need a lot of learning and a lot of teaching. And on the communication front, I think it was also Jerome Henderson that even echoed these sentiments. They talked about, interestingly, if there's not going to be fans at the bulk of the games, how it may be a little bit easier for players to hear on the communication front and how that's going to be a little bit different than what they've experienced in a big college game as well as those players who have been on the NFL level. And, you know, that's something that we haven't necessarily talked about whether or not the broadcast is going to pick up on those things, I think is irrelevant. It's more a matter of, is that going to be a benefit for the players, whether it be on offense or defense? If you don't have to deal with the noise issue, do you then feel as if players are bound to be on the same page or better suited to deal with last-second adjustments because they don't have to worry about the crowd, whether they're at home or on the road, which is something that they've never had the luxury of dealing with previously? Well, the question too, Paul, is are they going to pipe noise in? How loud is we that noise going to be in these home buildings? So, Lance, to your point, maybe. But, like, I was watching the Yankee game the other night. It was bases loaded. Glaber Torres came up. And all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, this <laughs> sounds loud. What's going on here? So, you know, I don't know if that was actually heard in the stadium, too, or if it was that just for I broadcast. Think it was, Correct. John. That's my question. Is I think it a it was broadcast thing or is it a you, stadium thing? I think they, they have said during some of the Yankee games that that's been over the PA. Interesting. So, little Lance, maybe it's not going to be that easy. Who, who knows? It's one of those things we're going to have to wait and see. Luckily, we're going to have a chance to figure it out uh, for the Giants' first home game on that Monday night against Pittsburgh. Look, I'll tell you this. For years, there have been opponents who have gone into Seattle, Kansas City, Minnesota, Atlanta, and they, they have always talked about they suspected that there was some extra crowd noise being pumped into what already was a very, very loud building. It's funny, just on a light note, not to point the finger at a specific team, the Atlanta Falcons, who certainly have been in the midst of allegations on that front, Paul. Matt Ryan spoke to the media earlier this year. He was asked a question about would players want to have pumped in crowd noise, and he said, I think myself and my teammates as well as this organization should be the last organization weighing in on that subject. So at least they can take themselves lightly on that subject. But that will be certainly something interesting to monitor moving forward. And here's another example, guys, by the way, when we bring up subjects that we've been doing this all offseason, we bring up a topic. 
it then leads to five or six more questions. Well, here, crowd noise now is another element that you could throw onto the uh, appetite that we've been eating and whining and dining over over the course of the last few months. Answers are coming. Slowly but surely, yeah. we're going to have answers. <laughs> we, are, Lance, we are now, by the way, officially less than a month out from week one of the NFL season. Indeed. Less well, than a we month. Are specifically a month from the Giants Correct. first game Correct. on Monday night. But Sunday... September 13th is officially the full slate of Week 1 games. We'll have the Thursday night game, of course. But, yes, we are closing in. Did, Here did, we go. Did the 30-day countdown. on yesterday's BBK show hold a moment of silence for what would have been the preseason opener against the Jets? No, we did not. In fact, I didn't even realize it. I'm so, like, in the weeds trying to figure all this stuff out. I didn't realize it until somebody texted me last night and said, oh, too bad, we would have been at the check game time. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess so. John, that? I woke up yesterday morning and I was so down. See, now— I really was. You had, you had the date memorized? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the preseason games are big for me. You know that. I, yeah, I, I know they are. I'm desperate for those. And um, you, are, woke... you are desperate for all games, for the record. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I woke up yesterday morning, and I felt, like, so empty. It was rough. Well, anyway. we did acknowledge that we were closing in on the start of the regular season exactly a month, but we did not take a moment of silence, to your point, for the preseason game. Would you like us to do that for your well-being? Yeah, Is because, that what you're hinting at? Yeah, because moments of silence work really good on radio. Well, <laughs> I'm just wondering, listen, but part of it is looking out for Paul Dottino in these socially distanced times and just making sure that physically and mentally he's in good shape. Well, <laughs> sliding so. scale. <laughs> so that's the only reason why I bring that up. Well, I, Look at it this way. When I looked across at uh, the parking lot this morning, I did bow my head in reverence to the stadium. So that's it. <laughs> there you go. And I'm sure the structure known as MetLife Stadium uh, felt so much better about itself as yes. a result of your gesture. Let's hear from Burton yes, Burns, Yes, I was going to say, speaking of getting more <laughs> answers to questions that are unanswered at this point, let's transition back to the assistant coaches. And he is also somebody that has spent the bulk of his career at the collegiate level. He was asked during the process of deciding whether or not to come to the Giants, was Saquon Barkley a huge factor? It didn't hit me at first. You know, first it was Joe calling me, and I was like, oh, my goodness, man. You know, like, well, here's, here's this uh, situation that i got to make a decision on. And then um, as I – it didn't take me long to make the decision, I promise you that. But uh, then I realized, like, have an opportunity to not only coach Saquon, but, you know, some pro football players. You know, I think we got a couple other good guys on the, on, on the team in a position. Wayne and, and then Dion came along. I think Eli Penny has got – you know, he's got special talents as a dual player, as a fullback, running back type. But, yeah, just that – you know, just that uh, opportunity to coach guys on a professional level. And I got to tell you, got some encouragement for some different guys that's coached pro ball. And, and uh, I leaned on them for some assistance as far as making a decision. So it just happened, you know. And he also brought up Wayne Goldman in a follow-up question because going up against Clemson over the last few years, he has familiar with Goldman too. So, you know, this is – a nice addition to this coaching staff because while he was mainly a running backs coach, Paul, Burns also had a significant title under Nick Saban. He was the associate head coach, so he had a significant leadership role and the track record of Burns and how he's developed all those running backs at Alabama. If I'm Saquon Barkley, I'm pretty excited to see, based on what he did at the collegiate level, what he can help Saquon Barkley do in terms of bringing his game to a new level. Well, I'm going to flip the coin for a second. I'll let you go back to some of the guys that he has tutored. But I want to say this. 
for a gentleman who has been involved at either the major college level for 40-something years, just about 40 years, to say, you know what, I'm going to take the jump to go to the NFL, and part of the reason is I'd like to work with Saquon Barkley. What does that tell you about Saquon Barkley? I mean, seriously. Yes, Joe Judge and, and Coach Burns have a previous relationship from Alabama. I totally understand that. And that was the primary reason that when he took the call, he decided to take the job. But he made it very clear that the secondary reason was, my goodness, I get to work with Saquon Barkley. For a guy who's had 40 years of pro football coaching in his background, to look at this as a gem of an opportunity tells you how much Barkley is revered in the football world. Well, I would think as good as you know Joe Judge, the icing on the cake, to your point, is who am I working with? Who do I have an opportunity to groom? And when you think about electric running backs in the NFL, Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley and Zeke Elliott are probably the three guys that come to mind. Alvin Kamara you could throw in too. So I'm sure that that was, no doubt about it, a huge factor. But this is another individual that also has strong ties to Joe Judge. Brett Bielema has ties to Joe Judge, a lot of the guys. And I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention all of them were asked, Paul, in some capacity. Did you get a taste of Joe Judge when you were working with him and you saw him at the very early stage of his career? What jumped out to you? Did you ever think he'd be a head coach? And Burns certainly spoke very highly of him. But I actually was most impressed with what Bielema said. Bielema said that he was blown away, and I'm paraphrasing, when they were together with the Patriots and Judge's ability to put a presentation together and hone in on all the details necessary to get a message across to the entire team. Because remember, even though he's a special teams coach, and maybe people don't look at that in the same light as running an offense and a defense, when you're the special teams coach, you still address the entire team because you've got guys who are part of that unit from the offense and the defense. And Bielema said, and remember, this is a former head coach. This is a guy that's been around football for a long time. He said he was impressed after seeing multiple presentations from Joe Judge. Well, remember, Wisconsin and Arkansas were his two head coaching jobs. Those are two powerhouse programs at the NCAA level. Also, he worked with uh, Hayden Fry, I believe, out at Iowa some years back. So this guy has quite a football pedigree. And I think to paraphrase further the statement that you're referring to, he said that uh, with Judge, very impressed with his football presentation, awareness, and his demeanor, and the way he interacts with coaches and players, you knew he had big things ahead. So, yes, Bielema clearly identifying, based on his experiences around very high-profile and successful football people, had a very strong inkling that Judge was going to be cut out of that mold. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino, John Schmelk with you here on Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, 201-939-4513. Back to our normal number, 201-939-4513. Recapping some of the highlights from the assistant coach media sessions. On Thursday's program, we did part one of the assistants. Today, finishing that up, so it was good to hear from all the assistants. The other newsworthy item, of course, guys, is the fact that today the team was on the field as we are inching closer and closer to padded practices next week. And before we get into some details from today, Joe Judge mentioned that they're going to have an intra-scrimmage practice 
on each of the Fridays moving forward. Not today, starting next Friday. So that's going to be a way to make up for the missing out of preseason games so that you can simulate and get as close to live action as humanly possible. And I'm expecting that to be a trend across the NFL. I think all teams are going to adopt at least having one or two intra-scrimmage games each and every week. So this way, you don't just go into week one blindly. Well, understand this, Lance. The teams must get down to 53 by September the 4th, and the weekend of the 13th is the regular season weekend openers. So what I think teams have decided to do to somewhat simulate the game day experience, at least a few teams, I don't know how many, they will substitute these intra-squad scrimmages. Now, for the Giants, if you look at the ensuing three weekends that they'll be doing this, those would have been the three weekends of preseason games numbers two, three, and four. And I don't think that's a coincidence at all. No, I think that's a great point because starting on Monday, you got three weeks leading up to the first week of the regular season. So you'd want to get approximately three intra-squad scrimmage games in so that this way you feel as if you have a little bit under your belt. And I think it's going to be extremely important for these young guys because it could be a rude awakening if you get on the field week one and you haven't been in live action. Remember, guys, some of these players, the last time they played a game, okay, forget a practice or a workout. That to me is nowhere near the same thing. Some of the college kids, if they weren't even in a bowl game, we're talking about early December, of last year, the last time that they put the pads on and went up against an opponent that they had no familiarity with. And some of these NFL vets, if they didn't make the playoffs this past season, we're talking about the last week of December. Okay, a lot of time has gone by. Let's not make it out to be as if you all of a sudden, you know, brush off the rust, put the helmets on, and then just like that, you snap your fingers and you go full go. So, you know, that's something to monitor here as we watch practice and also, you know, eventually see these week one games. Look, I don't think I'm going out on a limb. And and John and Lance, you can both chime in on this because you may have different opinions than I do. I suspect that most GMs and most coaches would have rather have had at least two preseason games. I'm with you. if, If that could have been arranged between the league and the Players Association. Unfortunately, those negotiations kind of fell apart, and we have no preseason games. Now, there's no doubt there are plenty of veterans who are okay with that. They train on their own. They figure they know what they're doing, and they're going to be fine regardless. Whether or not that's the case, it remains to be seen if if their bodies are going to be conditioned enough that they'll be able to avoid injuries during the month of September. That's a crapshoot. We really won't know the answer to that for a while. But I don't think there's any doubt, as we have expressed for months, that the young players, the rookies, and the fringe players, and the undrafted rookie free agents, those guys have to be incredibly devastated that they're not going to have preseason snaps. Because it's not just about making the Giants roster, it's about putting film out there to maybe catch the eye of another assistant coach or a coaching staff and perhaps be claimed off of waivers. I mean, that's the beauty of the preseason. I think that gets lost. We focus so much on the veterans who need some fine-tuning, the dress rehearsal game, which is the third game, Paul. I'm looking at it more through the lens of the preseason is all about the bubble guys because that's their Super Bowl, for the lack of a better term, right? This is an opportunity for them to go out there 
and show to everybody why they deserve a place in the NFL. And if that place is defined as the 53rd guy on the roster, if that place is defined as one of the practice squad players, if that is defined as somebody who has a great deal of upside and potential that they want to have number one on their list when they invite guys back midweek for workouts, however you want to spell it out, Paul, you could put all of them under various umbrellas, but the preseason is about the youth of the NFL. It's their time to shine and it's unfortunate and we're all understanding of the circumstances why these sacrifices were made but once again it's just unfortunate that they're not going to have their moment where a lot of guys wound up etching out opportunities in the Giants organization as well as across the NFL well let me go back to the number that I gave you earlier during the show and I know some people were having to join us late because of the app issues 40 new faces are in training camp that were not on this team at the end of last season. And again, 80 players plus Pletzkemmer is the international exemption. So there are 81 players on the field. 40 of these guys are new. Only 14 of them are NFL veterans, which means 26 rookies are practicing with these coaches right now. And they still haven't gotten a chance to get their feet wet in an NFL game preseason or otherwise. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. We are back to our usual number. You don't have to worry about memorizing our brief change of digits. 201-939-4513. And you can also send in your comments, your questions on Twitter. Hashtag Giants Chat at Lance Meadow. One word, last name, M-E-D-O-W at Giants W-F-A-N and at Schmelk. We are an interactive program, so we will not shy away from your feedback within social media. But we are going to open up the phone lines here as we move along on Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. And let's check in with Rick in Tampa Bay. Rick, welcome to the program. What do you have for us? Hey, well, that was quick. How are you guys doing Hello. Today? I think everybody's there. I heard Paul's voice. I heard everybody there today, right? Yeah, Full it's a, house, it's, absolutely. It's a busy show. Everyone but Fegels. He, yeah. was, he, <laughs> he was banished today. Yeah, so. yes. He's not yet. Um, as I called the other day, and I was look really excited about we're getting, gosh, under four weeks we'll be playing. It's uh, super excited, and I got uh, And Paul, you weren't here when I, I, I called the other day. I want to get your opinion uh, regarding the preseason uh, practice game, uh, but I do have a question regarding Daniel Jones, his uh, his fumbleitis. Now we all know it's been a problem uh, last year. And we look, and who knows what this year will bring with him with it. But without the contact and the preseason games and the real full-out uh, attack and gameplay, do you think that's going to uh, present a problem for him getting over his uh, fumbling in the at least the first several games? So do you think that's going to be a problem because of that? And also, uh, Paul, I had asked the other day, what, what are the, the team's with your thoughts about not having any preseason games at all to actually have hitting and, and tackling and all that, which is so important. And uh, you mentioned something before I was on hold and I didn't, uh, maybe that you said something about they're going to do something as to with tackling and everything. But do you think that's going to have an impact, Paul, that no, not even one preseason game uh, with the way the Giants play as well as other teams? And uh, my concern for Daniel Jones because of his fumbling uh, coming out the first couple of games in live you know, action, uh, possibly having uh, a recurrence of just what he's been having. Well, let's go in reverse. I'll that. leave you guys to take Daniel Jones, and I'll answer the question about the exhibition games because, uh, in my opinion, it, it, it's terrible. 
Uh, I certainly wish they had at least two preseason games. I do think you're going to see a lot of shoddy tackling. The quality of play, especially defensively, is probably not going to be very good in September. The offensive lines, and, and there are a bunch of them who are mediocre at best in this league or developing offensive lines like what the Giants have, they are going to have missed assignments. Let's not kid ourselves. No matter how good or talented these players may be, a lot of them are young and they're inexperienced and they will bust assignments and it will show up in a hurry with big plays for the other side. So that's going to happen. And again, as we said earlier, conditioning and injury issues, which may or may not kind of rear their ugly heads throughout the course of September, are going to be something you've got to keep an eye on. See, you're adjusting to the game, Rick, simultaneously with also learning a scheme and getting ready for the opener. And that's something that most rookies haven't had to balance every single offseason because if you're a rookie previously, you can at least have that build-up period in the preseason where you're going through four rehearsal-esque games, you're learning the scheme, you've also had OTAs Mm -hmm. under your belt and so forth. So, you know, there's this very lengthy group of months that help you get more and more comfortable. Every rookie, and this is not just Giants rookie, it's the whole NFL, this is more like, okay, three weeks, get a little bit used to full speed, and then boom, baptism by fire. So I don't think the Giants are on an island. I think to Paul's point, this is a very young roster, maybe compared to the rest of the NFL. But to me, all rookies are in the same boat this year. There's no real acclimation period where you normally had the luxury of multiple months. It's right away. Now, as far as Daniel Jones and the fumbling issues... Does that perhaps hurt him that he doesn't have now a full offseason? Because remember, the previous year, it was about preparing for the draft. And the year you prepare for the draft, you eat into your offseason. You're not with the team the entire offseason. You right. join the team in rookie minicamp, you know, and everything comes at you fast, too. I think the downside for Daniel Jones is he has yet to have a full, uninterrupted offseason. That's the shame of all of this. But, hey, the NFL's about adapting. I think, though, as long as they can simulate things in practice as close to him absorbing a hit and Joe Judge talked about this Jason Garrett talked about this that they're running skill sets with drills where you know they're trying to punch the ball out then at least it won't be a rude awakening for him after missing so much time being on the field come week one you know John John let me let me get your take on this I know he wants to get another call and 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 that's fine because we're trying to get as many people as we can on the show but but one of the things that I, that I did see in, in the limited stuff that we're able to see right now is that there's this one drill where uh, Jones or any of the quarterbacks, they throw the ball right after they're getting hit with a pad by one of the other coaches. Yep. Mm-hmm. And from both sides, by the way. One yes. from in front, one from behind. Now, now, we saw that. And, John, you know, I don't know how often they've been doing that. You've been out here more than I have. And, I, I and have I seen that drill more than once over the course of the week. And how how has, has have the quarterbacks reacted? I haven't really seen anything that would that was noteworthy necessarily. I mean, okay. there are there are, this isn't like the American Gladiators where they're whacking <laughs> them with these things as hard as you possibly can or anything. They kind of just poke them a little bit. So I, I just think it's it's a way for the quarterbacks, I think, to to help their awareness. And I think. You know, my guess is that if the quarterbacks are holding it with one hand, maybe the guys with the pads are instructed, hit the ball out. 
but if they're protecting it well, maybe they don't. Yeah. So it, it is something they are trying to do to, to, to promote better ball protection in, in the pocket. Now, at the same time, at the other end of that drill, they're dumping the ball off on a short throw, and whoever the receiver is, as soon as he catches the ball, he's got to tuck it away quickly because then they're hitting him with a pad. Yeah, and on some agility drills, too, the running backs and tight ends, when they run over their pads or through their cones, whatever it is, they're holding two footballs, one in each hand, kind of high and tight. So they are really focusing on ball security. I call that the Tiki Barber drill. <laughs> right. Should be the Tom and, Coughlin and, drill. And, yeah. and, and that means Andrew Thomas will be the left tackle, which will be covering his blind side, which makes that even more important on a rookie on that position, too. So uh, I'm looking forward to him starting, though, and I appreciate the quest, uh, answering the questions. But Thank you, Rick. Hi, Rick. Thanks for the phone call. Appreciate uh, the call. Yeah. Thanks so much for weighing in. Let's head back to the phone lines and go across the seas. Mark is in Tokyo joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Wow. How are we doing, Mark? Hello, gentlemen. It's good. Um, it's about 4 a.m. here, um, but I'm up. Um, Thank you for listening. for the dedication. <laughs> wow. Oh, I've... I, I've been listening a long time. You're, you're uh, definitely a jet lag cure. Um, <laughs> and I have a general question. Um, just as a football fan, I'm originally from the tri-state area, a longtime fan, but a lay fan. Um, never played the game. There's, you know, you guys talk a lot, um, and, of course, commentators talk a lot about film, about schemes. Um, watching it on you know, football on TV and watching the All-22 film, which is now readily available from NFL, is a different experience. And... As a lay fan, um, looking at the All-22 film and breaking that down, I was just wondering if you guys had any advice, and I've got my notebook out, on <laughs> what you look for, um, how, you know, what, what the progression is um, before snap, you know, after the snap, and then the final play, because it's really a different experience. And um, oftentimes I don't really know what I'm looking at, and I'm hoping that this may help other lay fans. There's only a month left, so us fans have to get ready. <laughs> um, and just wondering if you guys had any advice for us. No, Mark, I, th I think that's a great question. Um, when I'm doing game film review after a game, for example, what I'll do is that I'll have the game play-by-play -play ready, right? So be before I even hit the play button on the All-22 on a specific play, you want to know what's going to happen on that play, right? So you know exactly where the ball is going to go. So you know if Daniel Jones is going to throw the ball to Darius Slayton, right? Well, maybe the first time <laughs> you go through that All-22 – you're just going to watch Darius Slayton, right? So you're going to watch Slayton, see how he handles press coverage, see how the corner's handling it, see what he does at the top of his route, and you make your notes there. Okay, then you go back to the beginning again. Then you say, all right, well, let's look at the protection. You say, was there pressure on this play? Then if there is, you look to see where the pressure came from, why that offensive line might have had trouble with the defensive end or defensive tackle. If there was a blitz, you know, who maybe screwed up their blocking assignment, all right? Then you take a look at that, and you make your notes. All right, this lineman did a good job. This lineman maybe not so good. This is why they had trouble here or there. Then you look at the quarterback. How is he impacted by that pressure? How does the ball in the pass look? And then finally, depending on what happens defensively, maybe you want to look to see what type of coverage the defense was in. Were they in man? Were they in zone? Was somebody else open away from the play? Was there maybe somebody held away from the play where there should have been a flag and there wasn't? So the, the trick with the All-22 is you got to go back and forth and watch the play five times because you got to watch individual things on the play each time you go through it based on what happened, and you make different notes based on the different groups. And to your point, that's why watching TV is so hard because a lot of times in the secondary, for example, where they have the camera on the quarterback, you don't see what happens at the top of the wrap between the wide receiver and defensive back. If you're watching the ball, you don't see what happens you know, on the weak side of the offensive line on some kind of block. So... That's kind of the key yeah. when you're watching the All-22. 
is to go back and forth a bunch of times. And for the folks that don't know, and again, you can go, NFL Game Pass is free right now through the end of August, so you can go and you can check it out on NFL.com. You also have what we call the end zone copy, and that's perfect for offensive line play. So when you watch the All-22, that's when you want to watch the receivers and you know everything that's happening in space. But if you really want to look at the offensive line play, go to that end zone copy, and all it does is show you the line of scrimmage, and that's going to give you an idea of how the guys are blocking, how they're handling pressure, how the quarterback is handling pocket presence, You know whether he steps in the pocket the right way, is he bailing before there's really pressure. Maybe when you're watching TV, you can't tell that the quarterback rushes a throw or gets rid of it because he sees some defensive lineman bearing down on him. So there are two different angles, and you got to watch for different things each time you go through the play. And I can tell you, when I... What I've been doing, and it's going to change this year, I don't know how I'm going to handle because I'm not going to be traveling with the team to do these games, more likely than not because of the COVID rules. I would get the game film, and on the flight home in the middle of the night, I'm on the plane. Paul's right next to me. He sees me. I'm watching the All-22, and it takes me three, four hours to get through a game because you're watching every play three or four times. You know, so, you know, if there's a two-yard run, you watch that play once, you move on, fine, whatever, who cares? But if you got a couple big plays here or there, you want to go through that play four or five times to see exactly what happened on that play. You Paul. young people have it so good, John. Oh, no, I'm lucky. I when, know I'm lucky. When, when I started, all you, right? You had the rewind button on the VHS. Yes! <laughs> I, it, it wasn't until the 1990 season, and I started in 83, so it was, it was like seven years into my, my career as a Giants beat guy when I finally started to really learn how to study tape. And I would pop the VHS into the VCR, and there I am, back and forth, putting it in slow-mo, putting it in pause, putting it in step, and then rewinding, doing it again, doing it again. And all I had was the TV copy. So I'd be sometimes looking at a play six, seven, eight times, taking five and six hours to get through the yeah. game film, and it wasn't even game film; it was TV film. And the other thing too, which is not the best. And Mark, I'm fortunate is that you know I've had Carl Banks here. He's taught me what to look for on defense. Right. I have David Deal and Sean O'Hara. Last year in the off season, me and Dan Salomon, who's one of our other writers here on Giants.com, you know David Deal and yeah. it was the 2019 spring winter, I guess. He would sit down for us after we finished a serious show and sit with us for 45 minutes to an hour and just watch offensive team. Offensive line game tape with us. And he could talk, right? This is called a tag block. This is called mm-hmm. a TED block. This is power. This is gap. And, you know, we're lucky because, you know, as a layman, offensive line scheme and terms, mm-hmm. how the hell am I supposed to know any of that? You don't. So I've been lucky enough to be around guys like that to learn that sort of stuff. And there's actually a feature, and I haven't watched many of them yet, but I know I saw one that was very good on Game Pass. Brian Baldinger is doing a series where he breaks down tape with players on yeah. the film. Mm-hmm. And he kind of goes through the scheme stuff, Mark. He's so great. if he's you great. and the bold bold is great with guy. the X's and O's. So if you have time on Game Pass, go look at some of those features, and yep. that'll teach you too some of the stuff to look for. Now I'll give you one final thing before you go. Now John's talking about the All Twenty Two, which is the High Fifty. Okay, that's looking down horizontally from the side of the field. And by the way, it's, do you know why it's called the All Twenty Two? Because you can see All Twenty Two. Because you can see All Twenty Two players it's at a all wide times. Angle that is correct. Yes. Okay. That's the all-22, and then the end zone shot that he was talking about is awesome to see the rush lanes for the defensive players and then, of course, the gaps for the offensive linemen. But now here's the thing. There are times now, and, John, I know you've come up with this. You've had to come into this because it happens. You'll watch the all-22, right, and you'll look at it three or four times. Then you'll watch the end zone feed, and you'll look at that three or four times, and you're saying, you know what, I still didn't see what I wanted to see. 
So now I'm on the play-by-play sheet, and I'm putting a little mark on it. You know why? Yep. You have to ask the coach now, about it. Now, not only that, there are times now I'll go back to the TV tape. Oh, yeah, sure. Because sometimes I've got to put together what I saw on the All-22 plus the end zone feed plus the TV feed. To see other angles. Before yeah. I finally right. got a semblance of what really happened. Right, and the reason the TV feed's important is not the initial play on the TV feed. The what re- you want to see are the close-up replays. Bingo. Like, point of the catch. You yes. know, things like that. Did, yes. did, did the defender deflect that pass, or was it a drop? Or the reverse angle they'll give you. Correct. Which could be really good. So those are all the things that, you're right, you can see with the super slow motion and stuff from TV that you can't see on the game film. So you're right. And then the other thing, too, a lot of times, and this is the, uh, the, the frustrating thing, you know, I do the best I can. Paul does the best he can. You know, we watch the tape. We know enough about scheme, where guys we think they're supposed to be. You know what? There's been times where I've been really sure about stuff, and then I go ask the assistant coach the day after the game, did I, did, you know, did I get this right? you got to try to double-check. And, and they're like, no, no, on this particular scheme, this guy was supposed to go there. I go, but that's not – he goes, yeah, I know, but on that play, that's what we did. Right. So – that's why when I try to do these reviews, I, I don't try to point the finger and say, this guy's fault. I'll be like, well, there was a gap here. Somebody was supposed to be there. You know, probably was one of these two guys, but nobody covered the player. So it's very tough without knowing the scheme exactly whose fault it was sometimes. John's- I feel like I have a pretty good hit rate, like 80, 90%. But look, one out of five or one out of ten is still a lot. John's asterisk here is so critically important. And that's why for years, whenever we've been on the show, and I'll tell people, based on my tape review, such and such allowed three sacks. Because I have to quantify that and say, that's based on what I think I saw with my educated eye, based on what I had at my disposal. Correct. And and there's no way I will ever tell you, which is why the analytics people and some of these services – they don't have all the information either. No, they're and probably so, right more often than not, but it's not going to be perfect. Okay, yeah, because so, they don't know correct. the play call exactly right. to mm-hmm. a team. So you yeah. must always understand and identify when, I, when you say such and such gave up three sacks last week. Well, then you better say, look, that was by my best guess based on what I saw, based on what I looked at. That's why you will never hear me quote PFF stats or anybody else's because I do my own. And I'll give you what I see with my educated eye and knowing that I'm going to try to double-check with players and coaches as much as I can. I will not quote anybody else's stats for that very reason. And, Mark, we're going to let you go on that Thank note. So appreciate much. the phone call. Not Hope that yeah, answered Mark, your question. Yeah, I appreciate you calling from yeah. Tokyo. Good stuff, man. Absolutely. Hey, Mark, by the way, are you, you in the it. service? Is that why you're out there? I, I am not, but sometimes I watch the game on Yokosuka Base with my, my, naval, uh, my naval buddies. <laughs> nice. Uh, so shout-out to them. Um, and shout out to cornerbacks because on this 22 film, you really see how exposed they are. I have a new appreciation for that. <laughs> and of course, shout out to you guys. Uh, really appreciate your work. Thank you, Mark, and, and shout out to you. Thank you for listening all day on Tokyo at 4 a.m. My goodness, I mean, yeah, that's geez. dedication. That's impressive. Yeah, when the cornerback is out on an island and it's one on one, yeah, I think you do grow a greater appreciation. Well, he, he's a man after my position. own heart because I'm often up at three thirty in the morning looking at tape. Yeah, but well, that's there because you go. you're a lunatic. <laughs> Mark, I'm guessing it probably has more sense than you do. Uh, yes. I hope so. He just gets his day started early. You you never end your day. That's it's just an exactly. ongoing cycle. Yes, indeed. All right, Lance, we better wrap. We've got to wrap here, my friend. It is time now to close shop on Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. For Paul DeTino, for John Schmelk, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. We'll be back up and running Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.
good program. A lot of good stuff we got in there.